You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have a fellow podcaster and scientist and uh, interesting guy, Maddie Lansdowne. He's down in uh, Australia. His website is maddielansdowne.com. That's M-A-T-T-Y-L-A-N-S-D-O-W-N.com. And he runs the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast, which I guess is a, is a thing that everyone wants, hopefully. So, Maddie, thanks for coming. Thanks so much for inviting me on the show. And um, yeah, fellow podcaster, thank you also for being a guest on my show as well. So I'm really grateful for your time. Yeah. Well, what got you into podcasting? I've been asked that before. What's your story? Um, what got me into podcasting? That's a good question. So I guess as I've sort of grown up and I'm 30 now and in my 20s, I sort of went through this journey of ex- self-exploration and I knew that I wanted to have sort of an impact on the world. And, you know, I was trying to figure out how to best work with my personality to get results. Um, you know, I was listening to all these entrepreneurs and health people and fitness and, you know, lifestyle optimization gurus. And I sort of figured out, I guess, that everybody's personality is slightly different, or, although we all kind of fall into some general categories. And what could I do in order to, you know, enjoy the tasks that I was doing of a day, on a daily basis rather than, you know, being like, I guess the, the normal comment is the, corporate nine to five slave. Um, and my, I have a very extra extroverted personality. I'm very social. Um, and I get a lot of my energy from social situations and communication with other people. I've been a musician since I was 13 performing on stage and I thought, yeah, so I got into public speaking and that just led me to naturally to podcasting because yeah, I can write Instagram posts all day, but it does not excite me in the slightest, um, to be sort of putting, putting words into text. So podcasting just made sense is that I love to talk and I can talk for days. So why not record it? Yeah, no, that's great. And why the name? Why had a nugget sick and die just because it's your health angle or is there, you know, some sinister background thing? <laughs> well, well, I guess I, I get going, going on with the, the personality thing is that um, I was I guess trying to figure out who I needed to be in order to succeed, right? In, in any context. And once I really just sort of accepted myself for who I was and that, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a, a scientist and I'm relatively highly educated, but I really don't take any of that stuff too seriously. And I just love having fun. Like I literally just love having a good time. And I was looking through names and every time I said the name to someone before I started, people just laughed. And I was like, that is, that's how I want to approach the health conversation. Like it's not this super serious, scary thing. You know, it's just like, it's, it's basic. Health is basic. Most people know that fruits and vegetables are what's up you know and it's just about 
helping people communicate or helping to communicate that in a way that's not like end of the earth, you're going to die kind of thing, you know, like, so it's, yeah, it's just about harnessing my personality in the name, but also being really clear in that everything I share on the show is going to enhance your biology in a way that leads to avoiding or delaying dying. Right. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's a, it's, you're right. It's nice because a lot of the other podcasts, I mean, they all have positive message kind of flourish out of this, that, and the other, but, uh, this is a you know a right angle way of getting to the same things. I like that. Yeah, angle. absolutely. So the people you have on the show, um, is there like a type, a genre of person? You know, is it more naturopathic or uh, functional medicine people or traditional clinician? Yeah. I, I get. I guess there's a there's a natural health lean. Um, my, I'm, I myself am out of like I work in a cancer research hospital, um, sort of during the most days. And I, it was through that journey that I sort of had my own epiphanies about health and about disease and about all the precursors that lead to these catastrophic diseases. And it's actually working in the conventional medical system. And I grew up with my mum as a nurse and sort of, you know, believing in the conventional dogma around medicine. And it was actually not until I worked in the hospital that I currently work in and have for years now that I realized that, um, natural health really does have a place and holistic health has a place that's far greater than we currently allow it to have. And, and that's not, a, not saying that conventional Western medicine has its place. It certainly does, but I guess it's, to, it's understanding that conventional medicine was, was put together in response to acute and emergency situations. And we're now in an era of chronic disease and multiple chronic diseases and the, the the pill for an ill model just does not work and natural health interventions have always dealt with causation which is something that western medicine does not deal with they just deal with suppression or management of symptoms in most cases but natural medicine has always for thousands of years and now you know, it's, it's sort of being shifted out of the woo-woo category due to conventional medicine and science being able to prove its functionality. And, and so, yeah, so that's the guests on the podcast definitely have a natural lean, but the people that are my, my own personal mentors are, are guys just like me that, you know, were cancer scientists or, or professors or doctors or, you know, whichever disease or field uh, for 20 or 30 years and sort of had the courage to stand up and say, you know, we can do things a bit better if we, we do the stuff that we weren't taught at medical school, which is, you know, diet and lifestyle changes, which are fundamentally the causes of most disease. And the World Health Organization says that on their website too, that cancer, that two of the top causes of cancer are diet and lifestyle, yet no medical student gets educated in the slightest in those two aspects of cancer. And, you know, and this conversation spreads across all, all diseases because fundamentally most diseases are, and that was one of my big epiphanies is that, you know, realizing that firstly, we're not taught about, you know, diet and lifestyle. And secondly, um, most of the problems that we experience within our biology are results of diet and lifestyle. So I do have conventional, uh, GPs and clinicians on the show, absolutely, because I love to talk both sides of the conversation, and and that com- side of the conversation is extraordinarily relevant because that's how our system functions. So um, it's just I I just really believe that we're at a stage where the Western medicine piece of the pie is just massively overstated. Well, why is it that uh, traditional medicine doesn't educate doctors on nutrition and lifestyle? Why, why is that? I mean, it seems to be like a you know, if you don't think that's important, if you haven't been trained to think that's important, I mean, that's, that's crazy. 
Yeah, me too. And and the interesting thing is that I didn't really realize it, that it was crazy. I sort of, I grew up, you know, my mum's a nurse. I grew up in a small town. So I, I went to work with my mum a lot. So I guess, quote unquote, the indoctrination of belief happened for me at a very young age. And I was, you know, I just assumed that what must currently exist is the best thing for humans. And that's, you know, that was, we, we get, we get indoctrinated with that belief about the system, you know, long before we have the free thinking capability to understand business and corporate interest, which is a, you know, which really like it really tars the conversation in it, you know, puts the conversation in a different light. Um, and so, you know, why don't they get educated in those fields? That's, that's a bit of a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. Um, but you know, which goes down the corporate interest conversation because it, it just doesn't make any sense um, as to why diet and lifestyle cause disease and or most disease and they're not educated in that field. So, you know, there's a lot of different theories as to why that is. But the good thing is, thanks to the internet providing so many people a platform is that we're getting more and more GPs and clinicians and consultants and professors and, you know, scientists that have an Instagram account or a YouTube following that are able to educate on this stuff that are able to go and get themselves educated on this stuff, which is what I did, and, and therefore take a more holistic approach to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's, again, that's another sort of part of the conversation is so I spent a bit of time working with like supplement companies. And that really opened my eyes as to where, um, where corporate funding or research grants come from. And there's sort of you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's sort of a go-to argument for a lot of people, whether they're in the medical and science field at all or not to say things like, well, show me the research or show me the studies. And the reality is that stuff costs lots of money. And, and you know, who's funding research is the people that have an interest in the outcome and cancers, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry, if not trillion dollar industry. And, and, you know, helping people heal and get better through buying, you know, cabbage is not hugely profitable. It doesn't have a, a corporate int- like dollar interest at the, at the end of it that's really going to change anybody's profit line. Um, and that's what, like, you know, there's a lot of research into fasting and intermittent fasting, which I'm a big proponent of. And who makes money out of people not eating? Not only do they not take drugs, but they don't, they don't even spend money on food. But, but that's a huge part of health is what's happening to the body when we're not eating. So, there haven't been a lot of the studies that are necessary on this type of stuff because nobody's willing to provide the dollars and that's, and you need dollars to make it happen. However, what natural medicine and natural health and nutrition is sort of pull on in regards to research is, well, we haven't done it in the conventional setting, but we have, you know, 10,000 years of, of doctor passing of you know, Chinese medical doctor or nutrition expert passing it to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And, you know, these, these modalities have existed for much, much longer. We call them alternative, but they've been used for thousands of years longer than the 150 year old Western medical system. Where to me, it's like Western medicine's kind of alternative if we, we measure it on a spectrum of time. And so what I love is that we, that Western medicine is actually, and, and science is getting to a point where, you know, people can, that, like I said, with the internet, you know, we're c- collecting these brains together that allow people with money and natural interests and, and true, true interests in human health and human development to be able to fund these alternative, quote unquote, alternative studies and find, oh, wow, did you know that what we've been saying for 10,000 years now has some scientific validity? 
Yeah, that's great. How do you how do you work in the hospital then? I mean, don't you feel like cognitive dissonance working there and you know, they're in one paradigm and you're, you know, you understand at least one other. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. So uh, it took me a long time to, because I was very much about Western medicine and I was like, it took me a long time to convince myself going through nutrition research and sort of, you know, the last hundred years worth of information about how the pharmaceutical companies and how the hospitals and medical system came to be. And so it was through learning about this that like, the whole time I was like, no, no, this can't be right. Like this can't be right. And so it took me a a lot of years to convince myself. But the reason that I'm still there is because the most important part of what I've learned is that belief systems about your personal reality is what governs everything. And no alternative health modality or nutritional um, intervention is ever going to help somebody that believes that the doctor and that medicine will. They're going to get the best results from walking into a hospital. You have to believe in in the process. You have to believe in your current paradigm of reality in, in all facets. Um, and you know, that's, and that's most, uh, most well explained by the placebo effect. The placebo effect is literally what they can't seem to replicate because it's about belief and it's very hard to measure, right? Because it's, it, it's got a very complex array of molecules and emotions that, that facilitate, facilitate belief. And there's a lot of variables that facilitate belief. So, um, Belief is the most important thing. So whilst I say, um, say these things about you know, Western medicine and alternative medicine, I just think the piece of the pie that Western med- medicine has is too big. I don't think it's irrelevant. Hmm. What kind of contribution do you want to make? What's your, I mean, have you, have you thought about how do you want to influence people's health and how do you want to influence medicine? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for me, it's more helping people never have to walk in the front door of the cancer hospital. That's the thing that, because the thing that I noticed was that, you know, people were walking in the door and it was just a revolving door. Once you, once you walk through the front door, the first time you just, you're plugged into the system. It's like you're plugged into the matrix and you just, you go back out. And I realized that once people got their dose of chemo or once people got, you know, their diagnosis, they just walked straight out the door back into the, toxic lifestyle that caused the diet and lifestyle that caused the problem. And I realized, why isn't anyone helping with the cause? Why isn't helping anyone helping with the diet and lifestyle? That's why they're here. So, um, so for me, I was like, right, I got to help these people never have to walk in the door. So how do I do that? I help people with diet and lifestyle, just help them upgrade their nutrition, implement intermittent fasting schedules, because what's happening to the gastrointestinal tract, which contains, you know, 70 to 90% of our immune system when we're not eating is just as important as the food we're putting in our body. And so, yeah, that's, that's the impact I want to have help people upgrade their nutrition and upgrade their lifestyle to one that's going to, it, it won't necessarily change the outcome, but to spend less time dying. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. My, uh, my mom had uh, or has, you know, cancer and she went for chemo and they were, uh, you know, I was reading about intermittent fasting and things like that. In the chemo center, they're like, oh, have donuts, have cake. Have, you know. And I told her about the benefits of fasting and everything. And they're like, no, no, you got to eat. You know, they don't, they just don't know anything. But it just made me really mad. It's just amazing that people are supposed to be helping you. They just, uh, I don't know. They just don't know. 
Yeah, and the, the thing is as well, it's not to be, um, it's to be aware of where the foundation started. So the problems we have now started 100 to 150 years ago and every single doctor, clinician, professor, medical worker I've ever worked with and know has the best intent. They too believe they're doing the best thing and they, they like my boss, he, he said he hasn't, doesn't remember a day where he hasn't woken up at 3.30 in the morning to get go to work where he hasn't woken up concerned about a patient like these people mean well it's just that the system that we're in was just lacks a few facets which i think are going to be introduced over time and particularly with diet in a hospital the function of dietitians is really especially in a cancer hospital is to keep people alive and um when you're undergoing such toxic treatments, the basic, the very basic and Neanderthal thought is what does the body need? It needs lots of calories. Where do we find lots of calories in high carb sugary foods? So, and that's why in hospitals, people are like, you know, go home and eat pizzas and ice cream and all of this stuff because it's super high calorie. But the problem is those, the body interprets what comes into it in two ways, two ways only. It interprets it as nutrition or toxin. The body only has two avenues for decision when it comes to our metabolism. And it's one of those. And so when you're putting in unnatural foods that have got unnatural flavors and, you know, there's concoctions of chemicals that are not natural, our body perceives that as a toxin. Now, when you have a toxic load of of chemotherapy additional to the food, you're just adding to the problem. And so, you know, that's something that's a real bugbear for me is that knowing that these dietitians that in a hospital, which again, they mean well, they're following their education that they were given, they're doing their best. It's not that we hate them individually. It's that we hate that the system didn't give them better tools, right? And the problem that really bothers me is that, you know, natural food that our biology and evolutionary genetics has wired into it to receive is not being provided and that's that's really the tools that the body needs in order to in order to facilitate getting rid of the cancer especially if you're on chemo you don't want to be adding toxic load to the body through these shitty foods you know like you want to be giving it the cleanest fuel possible so it doesn't have to deal with an additional toxic load um well i guess my uh my question at this point would be um well another thing i've noticed before i get to that is um you know, if you try to eat the right foods, how do you know that they're labeled properly? How do you know that this thing you're about to eat really is organic, really raised the way, you know, it was grass-fed beef? Or do you see any problem with that in the labeling side and in people actually getting what they think they're getting when they make the right choices? Yeah, I, I see a huge problem with that. And so... Well, the biggest issue is that if you're already in the produce section of the supermarket or you're at a farmer's market, um, you're doing the right thing. So whether you buy organic or not, that's like you're at the good end of the spectrum. I find that most of the issues and the diets and lifestyles that most of my clients and the people that walk through the front door of the hospital... They're just victims of marketing. And so was I and so is my family up until we sort of became aware of, you know, again, this corporate interest and decades and decades of manipulation of advertising and marketing and this type of thing. And, and so the, the real problems lie in the middle of the supermarket. It's not the produce or the meat around the edge, although, you know, they've got their own problems, but we're getting to, at that point, we're starting to split hairs. It's the stuff in the middle that's advertised as fresh, natural, natural sweeteners, you know, organic on packets anything in a bag a box or a can is not good for your biology right that's it that's just a good way 
to move forward as a general rule. Obviously, there's going to be different things that pop up and this thing might be and this thing won't be. But as a general rule, that's a good approach. And those words, fresh, natural, particularly, they're, they're just used to the nth degree in, in a context that makes absolutely no sense because legally they're allowed to. And the other thing is that a lot of people, um, we're caught up in Western culture in this paradigm that calories are bad. And so when we have Diet Coke, it's like, oh, it has no calories. Well, the calories aren't the problem. There's no, there's no calorie issue there. It's the horrible artificial chemicals that you're pumping into your body. Yes, they have no caloric value, but the toxins do. Well, I mean, even with produce, though, you know, let's say you're going to have, uh, I don't know, certain kind of fruits and vegetables. What if they've been sprayed with pesticides? What if they haven't? You know, what if you're going to have fish? It's farm-raised versus wild-caught. I mean, is it enough just to have, you know, fresh foods and prepare them yourself or do you really have to go even further to help yourself? Well, I guess the reality is that in this conversation, my priority is to not overwhelm people with a feeling of failure because, and that's why I say, if you're in that section of the supermarket, you're already doing the right thing. And if, if you want to go down the conversational rabbit hole of how bad glyphosate is and how bad herbicides and pesticides are, then everyone's just going to throw their hands up in the air and say, well, who cares? I'm just going to have pizza every single day. But as I said, my, my, my mission is, is for people to spend less time dying. So if you get your herbicides and pesticides with a bunch of good nutrients, then that's far better than getting your herbicides and pesticides in a bag of box or a can with artificial flavorings and, and products that are not natural to your biology. So the priority really is getting those natural foods. I say if your plate looks like it came from the farm, then you're doing the right thing. Obviously, herbicides and pesticides are bad. Obviously, there's going to be some, you know, some advertising and marketing in regards to the use of the word organic. And I've, I actually did an episode of my own podcast um, discussing the legal definition of the word organic. And, and it's, oh. fairly, it's fairly flexible, um, unfortunately. But the point is that that usually is going to be the best option. But again, then cost comes into it as well, right? And people have a, have a perceived uh, value based on, well, you know, I've never really spent this much on food before. And why is this apple smaller than, it, than all the, you know, genetically modified apples kind of thing? So, yeah, so I guess I really just don't want to overwhelm people into just, be, you know, this fatalistic mentality of, well, uh, the whole world's screwed, so I might as well do what I want. Uh, well, uh... I guess you're not a clinician. You don't really treat people, but you, you discuss things on the podcast and informational only. But have you seen that? Um, are there a lot of outliers there? Are there people that really need to go whole hog and try to clean everything that they eat? Or is it enough, again, just to try to have unprocessed foods for most people or for all people? I think the people that need to go whole hog are usually people that are either pre-disease or disease, like they need a therapeutic response. Um, So whereas for the rest of us, you know, it's good for us to live a lifestyle long term where we, yeah, we're eating, you know, farm farm based foods and you know ideally naturally caught fish naturally caught naturally hunted meat is always going to be better but but again if it looks like it came from the farm it's good but yeah those people that need to go all the way like fully commit to this you know sort of quote unquote extreme health um diet or lifestyle is usually going to be people in a therapeutic response and and as well i mean you know simply being overweight is something that requires a therapeutic response. You don't need to already have the condition or disease diagnosis. Like one of the biggest red flags and, and um, why I've helped people and talk a lot about weight loss is one of the big red flags before almost all disease and illness is carrying excessive fat on your body, right? So the, even something like that 
requires a therapeutic response. But then again, as well, we've got the relationships with food and fat dieting. And that's also something that I don't advocate for. You shouldn't do anything unless it's sustainable. But at the same time, we need to make positive adjustments because currently your definition of sustainable might be, well, you know, the quote unquote balanced and in moderation words get you thrown around a lot and they're just so subjective. So, you know, we need to make a healthy change over a period of time so that gradually you become your, your baseline of health is really good. So, um, I don't know if through all your exposure and training podcasts and your work at the hospital, I mean, I don't know, do you see a positive endpoint for health? Do you see us moving towards uh, better models where more people will be healthy or do you see things on a, a kind of a net negative and people are getting sicker? I definitely think people are getting sicker, but at the same time on the other end of the spectrum, I think the model is definitely shifting, particularly in America. And America's um, one of the countries that are leading the way in this, um, this combination of GP or clinician and health coach. That's becoming a real thing. And that's because a lot of doctors are realizing, <clears throat> excuse me, they're realizing that they don't have the capacity to help people implement. They're just, they're just instructors. They, they say, do this. But people behave based on their belief systems and habits that are ingrained. And those, those things are usually being ingrained for a long time. And pharmaceutical drugs don't have the same adherence rate to any diet, lifestyle, or any type of health intervention. And that's because they don't, the doctors don't have the skills in order to help people use their psychology in a way that achieves the result. So the, the model is definitely shifting. Functional medicine, I, I, I like to get a lot of functional medicine people on my podcast simply to demystify it. A lot of people that uh, hear any of these acupuncture, I've got a, a Chinese medical doctor, a good friend of mine jumping on the podcast to share the scientific research studies behind acupuncture. You know, it's all about help just giving these people a platform to bring science into the conversation. I think once people realize, oh, it's not just woo-woo nonsense that came from crystals, it's like, well, no, we can test, measure, and create and replicate and reproduce these outcomes time and time and time again. Then it'll move from the woo-woo category into the health category and we'll get these more integrative and holistic health approaches through a combination of health practitioners. You know, you might have your GP who's partnered with a health coach who's also partnered with a functional medicine doctor or a naturopath. You know, they've all got their place in the, in the health spectrum. Oh, that's excellent. So any, any big trends you see coming in medicine and in health that are going to be big game changers? You think AI actually holds promise? I mean, personalized medicine, that kind of thing. You know, I hear it talked about a lot, but what's your thoughts? My thoughts are, yeah, there's definitely a progression towards personalized medicine through, you know, genetic testing and microbiome um, testing. It's kind of like the genome project. They're sort of moving towards offering that for people's gut, like through their microbiome, because we've got, you know, 500, a healthy person has 500 to 1,000 different bacterial strains. And that's not even entering the conversation of the fungus that lives in our gut and yeast molecules that live in our gut. And so... They say that your gut microbiome is more personal to you than your fingerprint. Like even, a, even two twins um, have drastically different microbiomes just simply because of their position in the womb. Um, and so those, those, um, those testings and those um, tools are now you know, really starting to come to the forefront. There's a lot of big projects that are moving forward in that direction. And I think, I think the reality is, though, that no matter what technology is created and all of these technological tools are, are amazing, until we shift the paradigm 
of responsibility, none of these tools are going to change people's outcome. Until we change the paradigm that I go to the doctor as if I'm a car going to the mechanic and he just replaces the parts or gives me the, the right fuel to put in for a couple of weeks, until we change the client or patient perspective that I am responsible for my health, my diet and lifestyle created this result, for the most part, it's, it's rarely genetics, but for the most part, it's diet and lifestyle. Until that person has enough responsibility, the technological tools, no matter how good they are, are, are useless unless that person walks home with responsibility for creating a healthy future. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So what, what does that look like? Is that, I mean, in the future, people, what I've noticed is people, for the most part, just go along. And I, I was one of them for a long time, too. And you just think, oh, these sicknesses are what happens to other people, and I'm fine. And I'll worry about it when it comes up. I mean, how are you supposed to, before you have something bad happen to you, how are you supposed to even pay attention to this stuff and, and want to? I think, I think the reality is that it's probably going to be a generational thing that happens because it's a lot of our belief systems about and our habits and, and the reason that we have a lot of things that are related to our parents or we do a lot of things in our day behaviorally that are very similar to our parents is because a lot of the things we learn happen and are pumped into our brain when we're essentially all in our subconscious state and that's the ages zero to seven so it's really hard to break habits and old belief systems that were pumped in in those years because they're essentially cemented in there they're like programs that, that we then play out so i think the truth is that it's going to be you know a generation of parents there needs to be a generation of parents where health and wellness is a priority and they educate the children on what a healthy baseline is in order for them to grow up and live in a healthy way because so many of us know like every event i've ever spoken at every client i've ever had i don't need to tell them that fruits and vegetables are the thing it's not about information it's not about information it's about psychology so for the people that currently exist in the world we are right now it's about you're working on your mindset. It's about working on your belief systems. It's about dealing with your, your past traumas with a psychologist because the, those are the things that underpin the behaviors that you play out now. But I think in the long term, we're going we're gonna to progress towards you know, just an increased baseline of health and people are going to pass that on to their kids. And I think that's what needs to happen in order to create a healthier world. It needs to be passed on to kids. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I have kids and I'm you know, try to instruct them and help them too. I'm overweight and I tell them, you know, like it took years and years to get like this, but it's going to take years and years for me to fix it. It seems like and I don't want that to happen to them. So trying to do the same thing and give them a better yeah. shot at it than, uh, than I had more information. Yeah, that's great. And like, and that's, that's the important thing with my clients and, a, and a, a really important motivator for them too, is that once they understand that we got here as a result of, you know, a combination of belief systems and incorrect information through marketing and advertising, once we understand that, that really provides motivation and tools to ensure that we, we're, we're putting that information into the, our kid's head in the right way. And the good thing is the younger they are, the, the better the, the information is going to be for them because they, it cements it right into the subconscious of the brain. Well, very good. So what's, um, what's the best way for people to get more exposure to you? You know, I like what you have to say and it's well, you know, it's well said. What's, Thank uh, you. Really appreciate that. Yeah. How can they find your podcast and how can they, uh, you know, find out more about the programs you have and everything? Yes, yeah, so the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast is on virtually any app, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, all, all of the apps that are out there for podcasts, um, which is really exciting. I have a lot of amazing guests, um, just like you, Richard. I've had you on there. It's been great. 
Um, so also Instagram, so just at Maddie Lansdowne um, and LinkedIn as well. So at Maddie Lansdowne. So pretty much all the usual all the usual social media, Facebook, Instagram, it's all just, and my website as well, just maddielandstown.com. That's great. Well, Maddie, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. And thanks for doing such a great podcast. You've got so, so many episodes and I've listened to a bunch of them and you've given so much value. Cool. So congratulations for that. I'm trying. You're doing well. Excellent. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.